Yeah, we need to plug you up. All right, I'll just do a. Yeah, this is the real deal. <laughs> the Kola Oshira map. You're going to be featured. Uh, so I just want to introduce Rabbi Greenwald. Not only is he the president of the Adash Shul's father, claim to fame, uh, but also the Rosh Yeshiva of one of the most, arguably one of the most successful yeshivas in Eretz Yisrael. Uh, they take guys who come in, we'll say, with a lot of energy uh, and from all kinds of backgrounds and all kinds of homes. Uh, and they mamish, they go through year one, two, three. I've seen the magic time and time again. Uh, and by the time they come out, there's something, something happening there. Uh, and there's something that Rabbi Greenwald does right. Uh, but there's pretty much no other yeshiva that has this kind of success rate. It's like a Waterbury Enigma. Uh, that Tiferes Yerushalayim, or TJ as it's known, uh, the guys coming in not that turned on to Yiddishkeit and are leaving, uh, going straight into the mirror. It's like a 30% uh, mirror success rate from guys coming in, uh, not necessarily keeping Shabbos or anything like that, and all the way up to the top. Uh, so really a pleasure that we have Rabbi Greenwald here to come to speak to us, and I'll hand it on. We said we were doing questions and answers? Uh, yeah. Uh. Well, we could start with just a, a, something that we were talking about on Shabbos. So you have to honor your mother and your father. And if your father asks you for something and your mother asks you for something, who do you listen to? Who do you do first? And what if they actually go against each other? That, that's actually, the Gemara doesn't uh, talk about that as directly. But who do you listen to? The mother asks you for a drink and the father asks you for a drink. Who do you get it for first? So, so <laughs> if they're close enough, you can do it with two hands, very good. Uh, I guess you could do it like that. But the law is that you give to the father first because the mother is also obligated on a certain level of kavod for the, her husband. Uh, as long as the parents are together, if they're not together, if his parents are split, then there's an equal obligation. But there's a, uh, if they're together, the obligation is on the, is on the uh, first on the father because the mother is also obligated in the respect of the father. So there's a there's a, a really interesting question about this that there is a very uh, well established law in the Talmud, that when something is definite and something is doubtful, the thing which is definite takes precedence over the thing which is which is in doubt, which is not 100%. So even though there are ways of judging things, if you have a majority, and if you have an existing status that's already in place, there's a rove or there's a chazaka, and those things all play a role, in helping you determine something when you don't know, but nothing, it, none of them reach the level of complete clarity. So, who the child's mother is is 100% not up for discussion. The mother, there's somebody who delivered this child from the mother. There could have been testimony the entire lifetime of this child testifying that this is the mother. The father. We're assuming, and we say that most of the time, this is going to be the norm that he's actually the father of the child. But it's not 100%. DNA tests have revealed some pretty surprising conclusions for people. 
in fact, it was illegal in Israel to get a private DNA test for many, many years without the special governmental uh, author, uh, um, um, uh, signing off on the, uh, you know, special a special permit to to do it. That was perhaps because of. Uh, the Yemenite kids who were taken away from their families. That's the, one of the beliefs, but I don't know. I'm not really in the, in, in, into that so much, but the question is the question. In other words, we know who the mother is, and the father we know, but we don't know with the same clarity as the mother. So if you have something which is certain, and you have something which is doubtful, so why would, you, you should have to listen to your mother, because she's for sure your mother, and your father is most probably your father. So why is it that we listen first to the uh, father and not to the mother. That's the question. Serve, serve the father first. Yeah. Huh? Serve the father. The first. Yeah, serve the father first. Yeah, the father gets the first... Uh, right? Well, the but would the person who raised you have priority over your mother? It create you're right. It, the the halacha in the Gemara said right. Whoever raises a child, it's as if he as, as if, if he gave birth to him. And Moshe Rabbeinu was raised by the daughter of Paro. It's as if she was his mother on some level. True, there are various uh, 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 applications of that law, but it, it's not going to become it's not going to come before certain motherhood. And what if the father, what if he was an absentee father, and he didn't even raise him? It wouldn't change the halacha. It might change the emotional connection, but it wouldn't change the halacha. Generally, is generally as good as the certainty. That does it have to be a 50-50 to be less than 100%? You're saying it's a chazaka. Yeah, you're yeah, saying no. the chazaka. We say rov bilos achar habal. That's like with a din, we consider it like the vadai, like the certainty. But we have the certainty in place. Well, that's ironclad. But now he's saying it's like halakha. Let's say two Adim would come along, and they would say that uh, that the father was actually out of town for a year when this mother became pregnant. Right? Did he be? He did. They be broken. If two Adim came along and said these two Adim who witnessed it uh, were not uh, were not there. It would actually, it would, things would still be working in their favor. Not if they were not there. They would, they would contradict and say it's a different lady who's right. the mother. So once you break that, right? Because they already said it. Yeah, that could be broken. This one can't really be broken the same way. Right. But, but also, your father brings you to the next world, like we say, if you have. Your Rebbe, your Rebbe. If your father teaches you Torah, you're making you're making the case to talk about the importance of a father. And as a father, I would never try to. Uh, uh, and I'm even the father of a father, right? Of a, co- a couple of fathers, I would never try to minimize the magnitude. And as a son, also, I wouldn't try to minimize the magnitude of a father. I'm talking about from the pure, from the point of view and, of. And also, the other safari is that the wife is still, even if the husband is not the real father, the wife is still obligated to honor that man. Ah, <laughs> uh, so, so, so that that is true that she is obligated to man. Like, what would be the story if it was wasn't actually his his father, and but she was chayiv in his honor? So then, would she have to give up hers from the son? That's a good question. Anyway, so the the the, the Reb Chaim talks about this uh, somewhere, and uh, they bring the following idea: What greater? Again, let's set it up. 
He's obligated in the father's respect for at least a rove and a chazaka and all of those, you know, uh, the likelihood, the probability. He's obligated in the mother, and the mother is also obligated to the father. So, because the mother, so part of honoring, so what does that mean? Does that mean that he's has to honor the mother, and part of the mother's honor is due to the father, or the mother has to kind of back off her honor? Well, no, no, the mother, part of honoring the mother is honoring the father, since she has to, so, well, they have the question, because you have the same question with the grandfather. Your father comes first, or your grandfather comes first? Your father comes first, right? That, that remind me, right? The father comes first, not the grandfather, even though the father is obligated in the honor. Uh, I'm obligated in the honor of my father and of my grandfather. And not only that, my father is obligated to my grandfather. So one would think my grandfather should come first. But yet my obligation is still first. Right? I believe. Got it? Yeah? Sounds familiar, Ezra? Now you're on tape, too. So, so the idea is, what greater disrespect could there be to a mother than to say that the person she claims is the father is not actually the father? Part of the chiv to my mother, part of my obligation to her, makes me recognize that to claim paternity from another person that's the that's the most terrible thing that we could do. Because from her, it's a certainty. And if I'm actually respecting her, so two things are happening. One is she is ob- she's also obligated in his honor. But the second is that she is saying that he's the father. So the respect from the mother would require me to honor the father first. Because otherwise, I'd be questioning the integrity of the mother. And actually, the Ramban... Okay, anyway, that's the idea. So the Ramban in the Aseris Hadibros says, um, comes after the other commandments that are God commandments. And on the right side, we have the God commandments, on the left side, we have the interpersonal commandments, yet is on the side of the Ben Adam Lamakam commandments. And the Ramban says how, and, 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 and all it says, and there's very little information there beyond that. He says, how come there's no explanation? He said, because first the Torah tells us about the kavod for the Av Ha'elyon, Av Elyon the Av Harishon, the first father, and the, uh, and, and, and the upper father. And then it tells you the law of respect of the lower father, and the lower, the tachton, the avha'acharon, the later father, the second father. And we apply the things that we learn about how to respect a parent from how we learn to respect Hashem. And so for us to say that, for instance, that one of the examples he brings is for us to say that our father is not really our father, because what's Avodah Avodazara is to say that our God is not really our God. So to say our father is not really our father would be the ultimate act of disrespect. So, so that's one of the examples of, 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 uh, of uh, uh, how we learn from the level of respect due 
Hashem that teaches us how we're supposed to respect uh, our parents. And uh, they're partners in the creation, and they are, you know, they're part of that process. But I, what, what we have done with this over the years, and the way we understand it is, is that the relationship that a person builds in this world with God is something that passes through his parents. First of all, traditionally, that was the law. Father would teach the son Torah, and uh, when 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 Rabbi Shua ben Gamla came up with it at the time, at the end of the at the Hasmonean period, the end of the period of Hashmonaim, he came up with this incredible new concept that we're going to start schools, and the schooling system started then for children, because until then, any father who who uh, knew taught his child. Somebody who had a father who didn't know or didn't have a child, or, or didn't, uh, or, or somebody who didn't have a father, they had no, they 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 had nowhere to go. They had no, they had no etza. So what he started was yes, a system and a requirement in every city, in every town, two different sides of the river. Even they have to have school system in order to educate the children, to create that relationship with the Kaddish Baruch Hu, that until then wasn't there. So what, what I was saying, what we did with, what we, the way we perceive this is that so much of how children understand Hashem comes from how they understand their parents. And if they see their parents as secure and protective and loving and kind, they kind of have that perception of Hashem. And if they see the parents as distant or unable or, un- or disconnected, then they kind of have that picture as well. And this has always been like a thing that we've, uh, that we've encountered uh, over the years. And one of the things that tells us what's happening in the life of a person, so much of it has to do with if he was brought up in a home that values these things, so what's happening? What, you know, where has he, he lost that connection? Where has he, he found it difficult uh, difficult to to, uh, to to find it. I, I remember when my father was in the hospital. There was a uh, he had just had a pulmonary embolism, two pulmonary embolisms, and he was uh, in critical condition. And he was in the hospital. It wasn't really capable of giving him the care that he needed. Um, and he had had a surgery in a very big, famous hospital in New York and Columbia Presbyterian and. He was in a local hospital upstate, and um, we, were, we needed to get him moved from one hospital to other. And the other hospital, you know, the local hospital, they had their pride also, and they had a new cardiology ward, and they had a, you know, and they, they, they kind of felt that they should, but they were also a little bit scared because he had some powerful friends. Uh, they were, and the problem is, to get a doctor to call another doctor and say, can we move him from our hospital to your hospital? It's not that simple. Anyway, this is medical care in America. I don't know about in Australia. But this is, so the, the doctor who was taking care of my father was a, was a Catholic. And he was a, he's a very religious man. And I said to him, I'm going to, I'm asking you, please, if you could make this call. I only have one father in this world. I said, I have another father up there. But in this world, down here, I only have another one. And I still need him in my life. 
And he said, okay, I'll make the call. And I felt like referring, I wasn't going to get into how many fathers, you know, we, we, we weren't getting, but, uh, you know, that was the, uh, that was, that was, that was the, that's, that's the, the concept. So I'll just segue to another part about father. I thought there's going to be questions and answers, but I've just been talking the whole time. Anybody have any questions? I'll segue to something else about my father and fatherhood, which, which is very fascinating. That is a law of Bensore Rumora. The Bensore Rumora is the rebellious son. At the age of 13, basically, he, he's stealing money from his parents and he is uh, drinking prodigious amounts of wine, eating almost impossibly large amounts of meat. He is, uh, he is on his way to full-blown addiction and the, and the Torah tells us the parents bring him to Bezdin and they say, this child of ours, he's, he's straying and he's rebelling. He doesn't listen to our voice, uh, our voices. And um, they learn from that that they have to speak as one and they have to be on the same page. And in a sense, they're doing everything right, these parents. And with all that, the child is absolutely uh, not working with them. And uh, they said it's better for him to die. Mutov sheyomus zakai valyomus chayov. Better he should die where he still doesn't have the level of sin that he's going to get to. Because if he's going to keep doing this, he's going to come to a stage where he's going to start robbing people, he's going to become a highwayman, he's going to become a mugger, he's going to try to rob somebody. At some point, he's either going to kill somebody or be killed. Better he should die now as, uh, as a person who still hasn't become a sinner than a, than a full-blown uh, uh, criminal uh, endangering the lives of others. So his death is for his own benefit. There's a whole discussion about whether such a person ever existed. It's its own discussion. So I was sitting with my father at lunch one day, and he said to me, it must be possible to change this boy. It must be possible to change him. And I said to him, I don't know, you know, the Gemara says, like putting him to death is for his own benefit. Like, you you know... And he was very adamant about it. And uh, my father was a brilliant, uh, uh, was a brilliant, brilliant person. He was, uh, he, he was famous for many of his astounding feats of di- diplomacy and uh, prisoner swaps and, and, and things like that. But he was also a brilliant educator. And uh, he said to me, it has to be a source, find it for me. And I remember I left the conversation and I felt a little uncomfortable, like my father was arguing with the Gemara. I mean, this is the one who taught me to respect the Gemara, and he's arguing with it like it didn't, it didn't fit for me. Anyway, I was uh, just working through something, and I came across the Shemi Shmuel, and he says the following idea. He says, uh, in other words, the law is if the parents don't want to bring him to, to Bezdin, they don't have to. But better that they should for his own benefit. In other words, it's it's their own weakness at work if they're not bringing him because they're they're too weak to do it. But this is actually better for him for eternity. He's gonna for he's gonna live for eternity, either as a sinner or as a saint. You know, as a good person. Like this is his choice. Save him. So, so uh, I came across Hashem Yishmuel and he said, if the parents will forgive him and repair the relationship, the boy could do tshuva. Uh, 
Why? He said, tshuva is a legacy of the Jewish people. It comes from Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. And by his extraordinary rebellion that he has uh, been involved in, he severed the link between him and his father. His father no longer, uh, uh, he didn't listen to him. He didn't see himself as a continuation of him. And so he had broken the chain. But if that chain will be put back together again, then of course he could do tshuva and he could be saved. So we're talking about this relationship and the power of the relationship of the parents and the children. So I thought it was just, you know, it really fits in very well with this concept over here that Hashem is the of HaElyon, the of HaRishon. Our parents are the of HaAcharon, the of HaTachton. But the way that we work our way up to HaKadosh Baruch Hu is through this process of connecting with the parents, learning about faith and security and trust and belief and values and how to live and about God. And the first thing you teach us is Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu. And uh, I'll just finish this one minute left with the idea that when we talk about, it says the children can only serve out of fear. And as they get older, the Rambam says, as they get older, they can serve already from a higher place. But in the beginning, only serve out of fear. And he describes what does it mean to serve out of fear, in order, in order because you don't, in order not to get punished, in order to get a reward. He includes in order to get a reward as serving out of fear. So when we think about, you know, the child has to have the fear. No, he means it has to be, that for a child it has to be something tangible because he can't grasp a concept yet. He doesn't yet grasp the concept of truth, of right, of wrong, of good, of valuable, of refinement, of loftiness. A child can't grasp any of those concepts. He can only grasp what's tangible. So the tangible thing is that I'll do this and I'll get my piece of cake if I do behave, so I'm going to behave. I'll get punished if I don't behave, so I'm going to... That's all considered fear, even to serve trying to get the reward, that's included in the lower level of service. And then gradually, as the person gets older, they said, yeah, but this is not right. This is better to do this. This is true, so I want to do it. This makes sense, I want That's only a process of being brought up in a way that this is what all these pieces mean. If we're not brought up to appreciate them, then we have to find a whole different way of making the connection to our Father in Heaven if we weren't able to get it through what our parents gave us. So, you know, I mean, yeah, anyway. So, we'll, we'll, we'll hold over here. Ah, <laughs>